1: Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and joining me to talk trade deadline, it's Danny Russell. Danny, what's going on? Oh, it's an exciting time in Rays baseball. I mean, we had two really shocking trades last week. We did the Nelson Cruz instant reaction. The day we dropped that, the Rays went out and made another move, sending Rich Hill to the New York Mets in a really interesting... And what at the time was probably more shocking than the Nelson Cruz deal. Uh, Let's, let's talk a little bit about what went into that.
0: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) my first impression was, Oh no. Uh, What Ken Rosenthal was writing about had come true. So in the morning, Rosenthal for the athletic was writing about how the Rays might trade rich Hill as a means to cut salary. Nelson Cruz is owed five ish. Million dollars, and that's a big chunk of change for the Tampa Bay Rays, not a big chunk of change for uh, a respectable major league franchise. But you know, uh, the Rays are frequently pinching their pennies and and trying to figure out how to get by on the least amount of of salary possible. It's just what the team does, it's the reality of being a fan of the organization. And we find ways to uh, take pride in financial saving maneuvers, but. You hate for it to come into play at something like the trade deadline uh, if cash is the only hurdle, especially when major league franchises have cash for days. You know, trading prospect capital is one thing. Paying a player what he's already due because of a contract he signed is a different matter. I'm so glad and thankful that that did not prohibit a Nelson Cruz acquisition. He is without question the best hitter that was available that makes that one of the most consequential trades in franchise history. Great. Rich Hill making less than a million bucks for the Mm -hmm. rest of the year. He was signed to a $2.5 million contract. So Rosenthal saying the Rays are going to save $800,000 and try to move Rich Hill made no sense to me, particularly when he had been one of the most dependable starters on the Rays. The Rays were all ready to move him to some kind of opener role or uh, have the conversation to say, hey, we're going to start limiting your innings to reduce the risk of injury. And they needed him. Everyone got hurt. Walker got hurt. Everyone that you thought you could depend on in April was gone. And Rich Hill fulfilled the role that he needed to fill. He was throwing six innings. He was throwing seven innings. Uh, He was the veteran on a staff that needed him to be that vet. Um, Along the way, velocity is dipping a little bit. Stuff is dipping a little bit. Uh, He had that one game where Cash pulled him in the fourth inning and he lit him up on July 5th. Uh, You might've remembered that tirade. If you didn't watch the game, you perhaps saw it after the game on social media. Um, You know, there was a question of like, what is the rest of the season going to look like for Rich Hill? I don't think that played as much of a role as much as uh, the other factors. So to answer your question, uh, I was shocked. I was frustrated I could not believe it was happening. I thought the Rays uh, were pinching pennies in lieu of the Nelson Cruz deal, which also upset me because that meant maybe they were pinching pennies for the rest of the year as well. Who else would they look to move? Who else would they look to trade away? Uh, What are we going to do to be able to afford $5 million? I started getting spun up. My instant reaction was one of frustration. But then the return came out. And that completely dispelled everything Ken Rosenthal had laid the groundwork for in his article. The trade return was Tommy Hunter, uh, former Rays reliever uh, on a $2.25 million deal with the Mets. If he's coming back and you just sent out Rich Hill, who is also making pretty much the same contract, $2.5 million, the difference in savings is like $100,000 between the two players. It's basically negligible. So, the Rays were really doing this for two reasons. One, they liked the rest of the return. There was this fourth round draft pick, uh, a catcher who was thrown in the mix, uh, a college catcher yeah. who was not hitting an A ball. <laughs> I don't love that.
1: And he's playing other positions too. So, maybe like catcher isn't like fully in his future,
0: playing first base in the minors, outfield. Weird prospect. A kid named Dyer. They just like him. Yeah. Uh, and. What was really going on is they realized a couple things. One, uh, Rich Hill, for their purposes, felt like a ticking time bomb. Which he kind of has been in the second half of his career almost every season. I mean, look what he was for the Twins last year. The Twins got yeah. a ticking time bomb out of him, too. He made, what, like eight starts and then was gone for the rest of the year? Mm-hmm. Um, the Rays didn't want to be depending on a starter that could blow up at any moment where the injury risk was as high as it was for Hill. That's clear. Um, his stuff was diminishing. Uh, he was still pitching. Well, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I do wonder if projection, if you're projecting injury, you're probably projecting that as well. And that could continue to dip down. Um, and he very much wanted to be throwing six or seven innings and contending. And, the Rays have a history of treating their veteran players well and sending them to places that they would want to go, which is uh, put that in your cap for later, because we're going to come back to that concept. Right. Yeah. Uh, And what another team might do with that exact same idea. Um, You know, they traded Evan Longoria before his 10 and five rights kicked in, which is where he gets Mm -hmm. an automatic no trade clause through the players union. Um, But similarly, they weren't going to send Evan Longoria somewhere. He doesn't want to go. That's at the largest level the most respected vets like rich hill they were going to send him someplace to contend someplace to succeed and that was the mets it was a good situation for rich hill and it was a good situation for the rays because they have a franchise most 14 players on the injured list that's the largest number on the injured list in franchise history 13 of the 14 are pitchers the other guy being manuel margot who hopefully is activated shortly But there's a lot of pitchers that are coming back. And how many of them are on the 60-day IL too? Like there needs to be 40-man space. Some of them, yes. But I'm thinking specifically about Chris Archer Mm -hmm. and his ability to come back very soon. And his fourth rehab start is about to happen today, tomorrow maybe. And he's due to throw 60 pitches. And if he does it, he's cleared to return to the major league level. And if he can throw 60 pitches, then you basically have another starter. Right, And the Rays might be active at the trade deadline and need to have another starter slot anyway, particularly if they get a big fish. So it seems like this was more of a preemptive deal to clear room on the roster so that more pitchers could get added while also respecting Hill enough to send him a place that he would want to go.
1: It, it was kind of interesting. in the t- My first thought after we saw the return, after we kind of started to process what this trade really was, and you mentioned it, the Rays just signed this veteran pitcher to a one-year deal. He's clearly, you know, this could be the last contract he ever signs, you know, at the major league level. He he came to the Rays to compete. And then all of a sudden, halfway through the season, the Rays just trade him. Could that come off badly to like other pitchers going into free agency in the future that see the Rays as an organization that no matter what the contract is you sign might just trade
0: you away? No, that's the, re- that's the reputation. I don't think there's any way to get around that. The Rays are never going to give out a no-trade clause, right? The Rays are never going to promise not to trade you. Like I, That's just the deal, and to the team's detriment. Yeah. It's very possible that other players will never come to Tampa Bay or maybe even refuse to waive a, a no-trade clause or something like that because of the reputation, right? The Rays have a reputation for pulling pitchers early. Well, what does that do if you're trying to acquire a pitcher who is known for going deep into games. Let, let's get into it. Yeah, we're talking we're, about we're, Max already Scherzer. There. We're, <laughs> we're already there. The segue happened on its own. What a transition. Max Scherzer is popping up all over the rumors this trade deadline, and rightfully so. Uh, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. He would be a Cliff Lee-level acquisition, right? When you think back to the Rays getting mowed down in 2010. Max Scherzer is the real deal. He is a Hall of Fame talent. He has been uh, top five in the Cy Young voting for seven years in a row. It's absurd. He's just simply one of the best pitchers in baseball, and he might be available via trade. But he also has those 10 and 5 rights. So even if the Rays can put an offer on the table, and with the amount of smoke that's out there, it's very easy to assume the Rays are at least active in the max scherzer (laughs) which isn't
1: new like the rays are always going to kick the tires on players like this
0: right but it's i mean they're kicking those tires hard right Mm -hmm. but it's not only rizzo at the nationals that you need to be able to give him up you need to get max scherzer to agree to come to tampa bay and scott boris and you need scott boris to be on your side too i mean when the rumor starts started popping up initially Scott Boris was saying things like whatever team wants to acquire Max Scherzer needs to put a couple years on the table and it needs to be a f- fair market deal for contract extension blah, blah blah I'm making it up but basically Scott Boris was already saying he wanted you know the next couple years of Max Scherzer's career mapped out and I'm sure that's a scare tactic it also got walked back in the rumors out there but yeah, there's there's a lot of hurdles to face when you're trying to acquire one of baseball's best talents. And are the rays in the market for baseball's best talents when they're willing to do things like pull Blake Snell in the World Series and then immediately lose the World Series? Now, we've talked about that a bunch on this podcast. Uh, the bigger sin might have been putting in an injured pitcher to follow Blake Snell, but he starts falling apart on the mound because he sees Nick Anderson warming, and he's talked about that. Uh, And how that has always played head games with him throughout his career. They're professionals. Maybe you're supposed to block that out. I don't know. There's a human element to the game. And the human element is, if you're Max Scherzer, do you want to go somewhere where Kevin Cash might pull you in the fourth inning if he doesn't like it? Probably not.
1: It's, It's interesting. There's a couple, I think, really important things to note here. One is Max Scherzer is a free agent at the end of the season. You mentioned the extension that he may or may not want, or Scott Boris may or may not want to uh, to have in place when a team trades for him or doesn't trade for him in the next week. Uh, I, I think if the Rays were, or any team were to acquire him, I, I don't think that extension is is necessary. You've already talked about Boris walking back those comments. He can still go sure. a free agency anyways. There would be a giant bidding war for him. He'd be the biggest pitcher sure. on the market. Uh but that is something interesting. The Rays are probably, say they acquire him, he goes to free agency. They're probably not in that market for that extension. They throw an offer out there. They would be There would be discussions. But if you acquire Max Scherzer, it's for two months of the season and a postseason. And that is something that the Rays aren't always open to doing. They did it with Nelson Cruz. Again, a lot smaller contract. He fits right into the lineup pretty easily. Uh, but do you think, like, is, is this a move because he's a rental? And because it's only two months, could that be a big hindrance to the Rays? Or you think because the rumors are already out there, they're definitely interested and in, in, in willing to, to make it happen.
0: They're definitely interested and willing to happen. I think the biggest hurdle, I mean, Stu Sternberg has said he's willing to make exceptions in cash, right? And so right. Uh, we just did the doom and gloom on on everything. So let's look at the positive side. You know what veteran players love the most when they think about where they're going to go? winning a team that looks like they can go to the world series yeah (laughs) and what did the rays do last year they went to the world series how did that work out for them we just talked about it however you know maybe you can hope for lessons learned and say i would like to be in the world series against the dodgers that sounds great so maybe if the rays are the destination and they have like the winning offer heck they just got nelson cruz i think that's the move that preempts the move you know, you you create an environment where you do want to go and you want to win. So I do think the Rays, because they're just coming off a World Series run, I think that helps them a ton if they're trying to to pull in a big fish like Max Scherzer. The biggest fish. the, the Jaws.
1: <laughs> I also think the Rays have this reputation of holding on to their young prospects, specifically pitching, of really guarding those pitchers. They're really good at developing young arms. They did it for the better part of a decade. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of looking at the the Eric Neander administration, the Eric Neander regime. He seems to be a lot more willing to move young pitchers or young players in general to acquire big league-ready talent. We saw it happen. I guess you could even go back to the Tommy Pham trade. They got rid of uh, Cabrera. Libertor was traded to the, to St. Louis to bring back Randy Orozarena. Joe Ryan was just traded to the Twins. The Rays under Eric Neander, have been, I think, more willing to move on from younger starting pitching
0: to acquire big league ready talent. Do you share that view? 100%. And the Rays have it in spades. Even after trading Joe Ryan and Drew Strutman, which are two top 20 prospects for the Rays, two top 10 prospects for most franchises, you still have so many pitchers that you could line up. I'm not talking about Shane Boz. He's safe. He's way too valuable. He is Came in Keith Law's number four prospect in baseball in his midseason ranking. Baseball America, number 15. Like, this yeah. is legit. That's not who you trade for Max Scherzer. But if you go down the list, gosh, the Rays have JJ Goss, Seth Johnson, Taj Tom Bradley, Bradley, Tommy Romero. There are so many pitchers, they just keep coming and you can't use them all. So, cashing them in is worthwhile. Now, do you want to cash them in for a rental? No. Do you want to cash them in for a World Series?
1: Yes. Max Scherzer doesn't guarantee a World Series, nor would I. Don't know. Charlie Morton, say potentially coming back to the Rays in a deal with with Atlanta. Do you think that's a possibility? Charlie Morton coming back to the Rays just half a year after the Rays declined his option and he signed with the Braves on a one year deal. Hundred percent. And I, let's 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 go into Morton. Could you see that as a more realistic move than Scherzer? The contract's a lot smaller. Obviously, it's like cut in half pretty much.
0: Uh, Morton
1: has has been there with the Rays before.
0: Yeah. Um, wait, it's so nice to acquire something that you already know. A known unknown is preferred to unknown unknowns, right? This is a season where the sticky stuff band gets dropped in. So pretty much any pitcher you're looking to acquire, you're only dealing with, what, four, five, six starts maybe. Uh, yeah. after that ban to really get a feel for what is uh, what is the landscape? Is this guy still the same guy? In, and we can go through different trade candidates, but let's say, I don't know, picking a random one, say, say Kyle Gibson, right? Mm-hmm. I have not looked up whether or not his stuff has changed, if his RPMs are down. I have no idea. But do you trust five games or whatever the starts might be for Kyle Gibson since that sticky stuff ban went into place to know what he is? I feel like that puts more pressure to acquire either players that you already know very well. And you know, uh, maybe, (laughs) I mean, let's, let's get past the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, whether or not they were using something right. They should have a pretty good understanding what Charlie Morton, the pitcher needed on his fingers, right. To, to throw. (laughs) So knowing what you're getting matters a whole lot more in a season where the rules changed mid-year or the rule enforcement changed mid-year. That's what makes Max Scherzer also so tantalizing is because if, if it's all an unknown, if you don't know whether Kyle Gibson, a number three in the rotation, maybe a three, four, uh, is still going to be a three, four when you acquire him, that's wasted bullets, right? You don't want to be uh, taking those shots. Um, it Tyler Anderson at the Pirates, right is he going to be the same guy if you acquire him do we have enough data to know if whether or not he was impacted by sticky stuff because if he's a number four and shades down to a number five you got plenty of number fives so i think it changes the calculus in such a way that you need to know what you're acquiring or you need to be acquiring that like god tier talent right yeah i mean you're not going to go get shohei Mm uh but Max Scherzer is a, a nice consolation prize if you're going to be uh, shopping <laughs> in that market, right? I'd, I'd say so. I'd say it's a pretty nice consolation prize. So I think that makes Charlie Morton uh, a far more reasonable target than most other starting pitchers out there. And I, I, what's weird, though, is every National League East team seems to be competitive or think they are. Yeah. None of them are determined to be sellers, regardless of the standings today as we're recording on, oh uh, gosh, what is it? July 26th, right? Every National League East team thinks they can beat up on the division and take over. Mm-hmm. So if Anthopoulos is not going to make deals, then he's not going to make deals. And if Charlie Morton is off the table, I, it's, it's hard for me to think of someone I would want that isn't Max Scherzer. I'm just being honest. Herman Marquez maybe would be the next one. Maybe. Sure. Again, if if the Rays feel good about his stuff, uh, Marquez is certainly a super valuable name, but that's also an expensive deal to try and go and get. I would almost want to try to go for like a pre-arb guy. Like, I mean, dudes that have no smoke on them. Zach Gallen? That's exactly where my brain was going, actually. <laughs> Zach Gallen, a pre-arb talent whose walk rate has ticked up this year, but also his zone rate is higher. He's throwing more in the zone than he did previous season and his walk rate's a little higher. Well, that seems like an aberration and that he's going to settle back into a very good pitcher. Sure, he's making the league minimum. Awesome. That is a long-term asset that you can have and keep and and roll with. Uh, If you're making that sort of acquisition at the trade deadline, someone who can step into your rotation and be a dominant piece or like a number three one that could shade up to a number two, but you're, you're not sure if he's going to be lights out dominant and you can just work with it and run with it and do the raise way of figuring out your relief options and blah, blah, blah. Great. Bring me Zach Gallin. Zach Gallin is a very reasonable acquisition. I don't like spending whatever ace assets it would take. Or, or let's say you put the same deal on the table and you're hoping to get Max Scherzer. What's the alternative? If these are the pieces I'm willing to move for Max Scherzer. Kyle Gibson is not moving the needle for me. There's other franchises, too, that are also just hard to deal with, that they might be a great trade candidate, but also they have not a strong reputation for wanting to play games at the deadline. Uh, The teams in Ohio, the Guardians, if you will, and the Reds, uh, both of them notorious. It's really hard to deal with them. Their trade demands are going to be weird and specific and eccentric and expensive. Okay, so we're not going for Shane Bieber or anyone else over there. Or Luis Castillo, he <laughs> no, has not. been like my uh, white whale for the last year or so. Right. Mally would be his probably a more reasonable trade target on that rotation. Sonny
1: Gray could even be in there.
0: But the Reds have crazy demands. Right. And they're probably just saying you have to give us Bruhan or something. No, it's not going to happen. So you, it has to be teams that are willing to play ball. And that's what also makes... Morton difficult and share's are difficult because those are franchises that typically don't play ball either.
1: Let's let's circle back to gallon real quick. And then I do want to talk about maybe the current makeup of the pitching staff, which is very interesting at the moment. But a guy like gallon pre r multiple years of control would seem like a more quote unquote, raisey move, right? We talk about moves that, that fit this Rays model that may or may not exist, but could you see some major league talent that the Rays would have to part with to get a guy like gallon, maybe a name like Joey Wendell, I believe yeah. Dal Brujan gets in that conversation. Uh, he, he he's controllable, so I think the Rays value him a lot more. But it feels like there's still I wouldn't say a roster crunch. The biggest roster crunch is in the outfield, but I think the Rays are pretty content with keeping their three, maybe four or five center fielders on the forty man roster. But could a guy like Joey Wendell be on the move to make one of
0: these deals happen? You know, it wouldn't surprise me, I guess, but Joey Wendell is such a trusted and known part of the franchise. He was the starting third baseman throughout the World Series. I don't anticipate that kind of guy getting moved, even if you have Taylor Walls in the wings, uh, unfortunately demoted at this point because there's, you know, uh, nonsense happening on the pitching side and they needed more relievers and you had to move somebody.
1: You have a guy like Taylor Walls who had pretty much established himself as an elite defensive shortstop at the major league level. You know, putting up numbers with the likes of the the best defensive shortstops across the game, and he has
0: no room on the Rays roster at the moment. That that's that's pretty that's pretty incredible. It's weird, and he's exactly the kind of player you would expect to be out there. But the Rays have also doubled up in other places mm-hmm. too, uh, on the pitching side. Uh, having KK and Brett Phillips out there is basically having the same player out there at this point. Uh, and you're kind of in a pickle because neither of them can be optioned. Right. Um, so you, you have to make decisions and when it comes to the playoffs, maybe you make different decisions or maybe players get hurt and it takes care of itself. Taylor walls is a luxury at this point uh, compared to a need like Manuel Margot will be when he gets activated yeah. um, and whatever, reliever gets sent down, maybe Sean Poppin or, <laughs> or Lewis Head or whoever has to go down to make room for Margot to come up. I mean, earlier in the year, we were wondering like, man, is Mike Brasso going to play his way into a trade, right? But <laughs> I, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, you could deal Vidal Brujan, I guess, but if he's the future, no, you don't want to do that. So it, it's tough. So Gallon has no smoke. And so I don't think that's likely. Uh, that's the kind of trade the Rays make in the off season anyway, not at the trade deadline. Um, You know, I pulled up the odds since we were talking about it. Uh, Max Scherzer's odds to be traded to a destination. So this is the sports betting sports book, sports betting, sports betting.ag, not an ad. (laughs) Uh, It's just uh, the first one that pops up for me here. Max Scherzer's next team. If traded Uh, the odds, uh, do you know what team is the highest? I'm gonna guess Los Angeles Dodgers. Oh, second Mets are the highest at three to one. Okay. Dodgers are uh, three and a half, so seven to two. Uh, Brewers are next at four to one. Then the Yankees, Astros five to one, Red Sox six to one, Athletics seven to one, and at the bottom of the list, eight to one Tampa Bay Rays.
1: What and what do you know? What these were made. Because uh, I feel like if they came
0: out an hour ago. Yeah, 50 minutes ago. It looks like 2.38 p.m. Huh. on July 26th.
1: Because the this, this smoke is starting. Dan Federico put out a tweet uh, that the...
0: Sports Illustrated's Dan Federico, formerly of Bleacher Report.
1: One team that he's heard... One team I've heard that it's in on Max Scherzer, the Tampa Bay Rays. They have the prospects to get it done. Nothing imminent or anything, but something to keep an eye on. Which is like kind of a nothing tweet, but there is starting to... One, there's a lot of smoke that Max Scherzer will be moved. And it's basically that tweet just alludes to the idea that the Rays are in, which isn't too much of a shocker, but I don't know. I think the Mets would be a strong candidate, but like the nationals trading in division is kind of weird. It's a rental, which makes this trade even more interesting. And and ensures there's no trade clause. Uh, You know, he, he has the the power, the ball is in his field where he wants to go, whether, you know, whether or not he wants to go at all, which I think is probably going to be the biggest hurdle for the Rays to
0: jump through if they want to acquire his talents. And honestly, that's the kind of tweet that makes it sound like, look, the Rays gave us an offer and y'all didn't. So if y'all want to yeah. get them, you better get that offer in so that we can process this. I mean, I would, I'm i just sitting here searching on uh, uh, my Twitter search bar, Max Schozer Tampa Airport, because I'm hoping he just rolls into town <laughs> uh, for this Boston and New York uh, monster week we're about to have here. Uh, I think it'd be sweet if, um, you know, he could get two starts in, right? But that's the literal pipe dream. Uh, it's not happening, um, but, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, you know, since we since I got to open, uh, Craig Kimbrell odds, the Rays odds are weaker for Craig, K- <laughs> Craig Kimbrell than they are for Max Scherzer. When the Rays were the runner-up in the Craig Kimbrell sweepstakes when he was yeah. a free agent. So that's interesting. Their odds are nine to one. And it seemed like they had dodged a bullet when they didn't sign Craig Kimbrel,
1: But now this year At first. he is back to like prime Craig, Craig Kimbrell numbers in a lot of ways.
0: I mean, think about other guys uh, where uh, I mean, if you smoke or fire uh, Ozuna, another one where thank God the Rays were wrong or, or, or sorry. Thank God the Rays lost that bidding uh, because that would have been a lot of money for one of baseball's better hitters, but he's no longer playing for off the field issues. So, you never know what's going to come for you. Uh, the favorites for Craig Kimball are the Athletics at 3-1. to one.
1: They could do it. I could see maybe Houston in on that. I don't know. It seems like a guy they, they would like to have. Uh, in Houston right now, for my money, is probably the best team in the American League.
0: It's very close at the top. Well, then, uh, you know, you can make some good money with that one. 5-1 to one odds. Uh, yeah. And then uh, Charlie Morton, the Rays are the favorite. 2-1. to 2-1. to one. If
1: So that's if traded?
0: If traded, of course. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So there's no there's no stays option. Uh, it's just if traded odds. Uh, so the Rays two to one, Padres two and a half, Brewers three to one, Red Sox three to one.
1: That that would be interesting. Do the Rays and Braves have a have a trade rapport? I I can't think of any. They they got Malik Smith. They got him from Seattle, even though he had just been traded to Atlanta. I can't think of any significant Rays Braves trades off the top of my head. Ryan Schimpf. Ah, I remember him. Kevin Smith. They traded Kevin Smith to the Braves earlier this year. Let's talk about the roster configuration. If the Rays trade for a starter, if they don't. I think it's pretty, like, in terms of pitching, I don't know. It's like there are going to be some really good pitchers left off of a a playoff roster, uh, even if the Rays don't trade for another starter. So I've been kind of scribbling on my whiteboard before we recorded this. Right now for starting rotation, and I included a trade candidate on there. I have Tyler Glass now, assuming if healthy for the four-man rotation, Uh, potential trade candidate. Shane McClanahan and Ryan Yarbrough would be the four going into it. That leaves off out of like starters, Michael Walker, Chris Archer, Luis Patino. Now one of those guys could slot in there if there's no trade made, but there's also the you know the scenario in which Tyler Glass now isn't ready for the postseason, which makes things a little bit more interesting.
0: Yeah, dude. If Glass now is not, yeah, if Glass is not part of it, it's that's tough. I mean, so one of the pieces here, if I think about playoffs based on recent performance, I'm definitely stacking Drew Rasmussen. <laughs> Maybe Drew Rasmussen yes. can open for Yarbrough. Uh, that would be wild. That would be super special.
1: I have him included on the B bullpen, but his role would kind of be very fluid, I think, in a playoff roster. He's looked really, really good.
0: Yeah, he's looked special. I would love to see him open.
1: For A bullpen, I've got Diego Castillo,
0: Pete Fairbanks, Andrew Kittredge, and Colin McHugh. Yeah, uh, Colin McHugh, please be okay. He went on the injured list today. Um, I almost feel like you have to include Springs and Whistler. So they, they come in on,
1: while well, Whistler, I, he got left off on a oh, B, B bullpen. Pen.
0: B bullpen.
1: Okay. So B bullpen, I've got Nick Anderson, if healthy. If healthy. Ryan Thompson, sure. Jeffrey Springs, and if Drew healthy. Rasmussen. Okay. All if healthy. A lot of them, yeah. <laughs> but that leaves off Whistler, uh, Lewis Head, Luis Patino, Sean Poppin, Shane Boz, who I could also see if everything goes well once he gets back from Tokyo.
0: I mean, we have to assume Shane Boz gets a Gets that late-inning role a little bit in September, right? That Shane McClanahan role, like,
1: come brings him up as a reliever. Is there room, though? Like, his development, I'm not saying it's being hindered from him being in Tokyo, but you'd rather him, for the Rays, in terms of the Rays' best interest for this season, you'd rather him be in Durham right now than in Tokyo. It's great for Shane, great for Team USA.
0: No, let let him go have fun. It's a game. Yeah, I'm not no, worried 100%. about it. 100%. Now, that could preclude him from coming back in the regular season in a bullpen roll or something. Or maybe it helps that yeah. be even easier, right? Maybe it's even easier to be throwing in shorter stints when you've been in Tokyo and playing the Olympics. Who knows?
1: Um, but basically, I mean, that leaves off
0: –
1: we have no idea what's going to happen out of Brendan McKay. I don't think we see him in the big leagues this year. Um, he's still throwing in the Florida Complex League and is kind of a giant question mark at this point.
0: Yeah. Dude, that bullpen. <laughs> I, I was just looking at it. Uh, do you know how many of those bullpen names were internally developed? Um, Diego Castillo is it? That's it. We because uh, he was all he was one
1: of the last players that was acquired or signed or drafted during the Freeman era. Yeah,
0: uh, twenty fourteen, March of fourteen. Of course, the rotation: Shane McClanahan was a first round draft pick, and yeah. uh, Josh Fleming was a fifth round draft pick. So those two um are also internally developed but is
1: there room for josh fleming on the playoff roster if the rays go get a
0: starter (laughs) (laughs) No. my my immediate instinct is no
1: because Yarbrough's probably got a spot over him what about michael waka yeah i feel like
0: waka's probably in if i don't
1: know even if even with a trade i don't know a trade might bump him as like the odd man out who knows
0: dude Also, we got to get through the rest of the season and the sticky stuff developments and who knows. Health and health. Always health. I mean, there might be no glass now. Wild. Whatever. Shane McClanahan needs to be in bubble wrap. That's my takeaway.
1: No glass now. No trade. What's the four-man rotation slash set of pitchers that you go into a playoff series with? I hate this question.
0: (laughs) I hate it so much. Um, All right. My four-man rotation today is Shane McClanahan, Drew Rasmussen in front of Ryan Yarbrough, Luis Patino, he gets this shot, and then bullpen day. Bullpen day. I'll take the best. McHugh, whatever. Just get after it.
1: McHugh, Kittredge. Piece it together.
0: If you only need four, the Rays bullpen is strong enough to handle that. Are
1: you comfortable with that? Facing, I don't know, Chicago, Houston, Boston. Of course
0: not. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. That's why we're talking about you know, uh, trying to trade for Charlie Morton and uh, Max Scherzer. I mean, th- having a Max Scherzer podcast for the record is going to be one of those weird historical artifacts. I think about ten years from now and be like, "That's so random that we made that podcast." Unless it actually happens,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think the Rays trading for Nelson Cruz makes the Scherzer deal any more or less likely, but it is showing like the Rays are open to having rental players this year. And I think it was an exciting move that does set the table for this week. The Rays mean business and they're willing to move on from young players. They're willing to acquire big league talent that's ready to go right now, but it doesn't matter if they're under contract for next year or not. It's just an exciting time to be a Rays fan right now. They were in first place in the American League East for a day, tied with Boston, now falling back a game again. This, it's, it's very exciting. That's all I have to say. It's a fun time to be a Rays fan for sure. And instead, they'll make a completely different trade. Like, they'll trade Austin Meadows in a few days and we'll be completely thrown off. That was a joke.
0: Maybe? No, that would be wild. Would you trade Austin Meadows for uh, Zach Gallon right now? Yeah, I would have done that in the offseason, too. <laughs> yeah. So, who who are we to say? I mean, it feels like he's one of the better hitters on the team so it's kind of hard to imagine um, who, who, are,
1: who are your top three hitters
0: on the team right now now we're going off on the rails a little bit we had to wrap this oh up gosh. soon but top three hitters right now my personal top three hitters and like expectations yeah. moving forward not like joey wendell on the road the rest this, of, season this season has been like road Wendell has been one of the top 10 hitters in all of baseball or something like that. <laughs> so putting those oddities aside, please. My personal top three hitters are Nelson Cruz, Austin Meadows, and I can't believe I'm going to say this G man Troy over Brandon Lau right now. You, you asked me like expectations no, no. moving forward, like for this season, Brandon Lau fell apart in the playoffs last year was still piecing himself back together for most of this season. And in the month of July has just started to be His old self again. Let's let's see him keep it up. Personally.
1: I think I would go Cruise Lau Meadows with Choi like right there. Because he's just been incredible.
0: Choi has been, and I mean you can also platoon Choi. (laughs) (laughs) I mean you're also platooning Meadows, right? So that's one of the uh that's why it kind of feels like cheating. Yeah, G and Choi has a one thirty six WRC plus right now. Great.
1: I'm gonna trade calculators some gallon and meadows trades, uh just because I, I, I like, listen, oh, the, I love Austin
0: Meadows. Yeah,
1: I love Austin Meadows, but the idea, like, when they, but one of the first thoughts when the Rays got Nelson Cruz is, oh my God, we're going to have to watch
0: Austin Meadows play left field for the whole season. Whatever. He's a professional athlete. He'll be fine. It's left field. The Rays were putting Manny Ramirez in
1: left field. <laughs> Corey Dickerson was out there for like a year and a half.
0: Corey Dickerson wasn't that bad.
1: He wasn't that bad. I, I'm too harsh on him and probably too harsh on Meadows. But it's either him or like Brandon Lau that's going to be stuck out there. So I don't know. We'll see.
0: Give me a give me a PA. Uh, how many plate appearances is my minimum for my uh, fan graph search here
1: uh, for this season?
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with 50. All right. So minimum okay. 50 plate appearances. The team leader in WRC plus is G Choi. Right. 136. Next is Zunino. <laughs> <laughs> 123 next is Wendell at 121 he is tied with Brandon Lau again uh, Joey Wendell on the road is just Ted Williams right now it doesn't make any sense
1: Austin Meadows out of is like six on the team in WRC plus behind yeah. Cruz Troys and you know Wendell Lau oh yeah okay if you include Nelson Cruz he
0: does get bumped down
1: I'm looking at Nelson Cruz just raised stats this year. I think it's for the whole season. He's a lot lower than what he's a 143 WRC plus, which would be the highest.
0: It's not that far off. Nelson Cruz is good, man. (laughs) Is he? (laughs) Yeah. 98th percentile exit velocity, Nelson Cruz at 41 years old, the Tom Brady of baseball.
1: All right. Should we throw it over to to our draft conversation that we recorded like a few days ago?
0: Oh, that's not a bad idea. Okay. So we did a... One week later, semi reaction to the draft. Uh, I will preface it by saying it is so hard to gauge a draft right when it happened. So um, if you if I don't talk about every single player or your favorite player from the draft, I'm sorry. Uh, but I think it's worthwhile to do these kind of sanity checks to, to see where we're, at, uh, where we're at on these drafts
1: yeah yeah last year's draft i think we could focus there were five players picked It was a lot easier to focus in on those five players including nick bitzko which was a really exciting interesting pick that the rays made in the first round Um,
0: and is injured and is injured
1: but this year i think uh, it was it was kind of easy to gloss over the draft especially you got a team like the rays that's competing for division title that's in the trade market that's doing a lot of other exciting things Uh, but definitely some some great discussion so Let's go ahead and let's throw it on over to, the, to that, that conversation. All right, Danny, MLB draft. We're about a week and a half removed, but what were kind of your thoughts on, on, on the draft as a whole this year? Later in the summer, back to 20 rounds, it, was, it had a weird feel to it.
0: It was a weird draft. I mean, it's weird because the Rays were picking so late in the draft. They didn't get a selection until 28 overall. That's a consequence of being in the World Series. A great problem to have. Um, And it's also been uh, a week and a half, as you said. That's how I like it. I really am not a fan of instant reactions to draft coverage. Uh, In part because, one, I appreciate the time to be able to do some research about Uh, the players further down the line that are drafted, but also it's hard to get a read on the room and the industry and exactly what's going on uh, when the draft is happening right in front of you. And also it might take years to know if it was a good draft or not. Anyway, uh, the race took high schoolers and having an opinion about high schoolers is kind of bold (laughs) when they haven't had an opportunity to ever perform at a professional level. So This draft in particular, I mean, because the Rays were picking so late, it was, they were dealt a pretty bad hand. I think the whole Rays draft pool was like $8.5 million. That's how much money the first overall pick gets in the draft pool alone for that team. So the Rays didn't have a lot of money to spend and they kind of made some bold choices. So it was, it was a weird draft to answer your question.
1: And it's also weird, you know. It, for a while, like Marcella Meyer was projected to be the number one pick on almost all mocks, and then the Pirates come out and take um, college catcher Henry Davis out of Louisville. It, in baseball, like it is such a different draft than any of the other big four sports. You're not drafting for positional needs. You're not drafting. You know, in the NFL, if a team needs a quarterback and they're picking number one, it doesn't matter if a quarterback's not the best player, they're going to take a quarterback. But in baseball, it works a little different. There's slot money. There's the difference between taking a college player and a high school player. Uh, And and ultimately, I mean, once it get, like you said, once it gets down towards the end of the first round, Carson Williams, a name that, you know, race fans, they might not even have on their mind for another three or four years.
0: But as you're saying, so Henry Davis going first overall, that was a very strategic pick because of the draft pools. The Pirates were able to choose someone who might take less money then so that they could spend money later in the draft and reallocate that money and so they get uh anthony Salometo uh with their second draft pick in the second round and then in the third round they're able to take a guy named bubba chandler those three players combined might be three of the 20 best players in the draft and they took them over three selections and those other two players fell in the draft because they were presumably expensive players to sign. But you grab someone like Henry Davis, who instead of that eight and a half million is willing to take, I don't know, he's probably actually signed by now, but let's say he took 3 million. Well, now you have a whole bunch of money to spend on these other dudes. They all get paid as if they're top draft picks, uh, maybe not the first overall pick. So it's a bunch of shenanigans when it comes to someone like the pirates, but your question was about Carson Williams, right?
1: Yeah. How, how, how long is it going to take like what, at what point in time? I'm not even talking about a major league ETA, but for a guy like Carson Williams, you know, someone might see that pick and say, wow, the rays have all these other great young shortstops. Why are they drafting a shortstop? But in all reality, Williams is a guy that's not going to be even on the minds of Ray's fans getting, you know, working his way up through the farm system um, for another three, maybe even four years, depending on, you know, how long his development takes.
0: I mean, that's right, because uh, consider collegiate players who are drafted with high expectations. Uh, Brendan McKay was in the 2017 draft. We're just starting to learn what Brendan McKay is or whether or not uh, he will have something to contribute. And honestly, it's a question mark right now because of the sh- shoulder surgery that he had and getting back on the mound and back in the saddle is is an open question. His, uh, his counterpart in that draft was Kyle Wright. We're just sort of starting to learn what Kyle Wright is. And those are collegiate players. Mm-hmm. And that took four years. So maybe four years from now, we're starting to learn or what the projection will be for Carson Williams, but it it seems unlikely that even three years down the line we can have any kind of confidence whether or not he has a major league projection. So, it's a it's a long path.
1: In, in the first round, is there a player that you thought the Rays might have taken, or a player that you think the Rays missed out on?
0: I felt very strongly about both of the Rays' um, first round picks. They had a they had a pick at twenty eight and then they had a pick very shortly after in the comp round uh, that was awarded to the Rays. And in both situations, there was a very clear draft pick to me that the Rays just kind of bypassed, Uh, and it was curious. Well, actually, I have two different answers for the first round. So the Rays went with Carson Williams, a shortstop out of San Diego, uh, a high school shortstop, and someone they just believed in. it's the kind of draft picked where the loudest person in the room, probably uh, someone with a scouting background was like, this is the guy that I want. And it happened two picks later from Carson Williams was a high school outfielder named Jay Allen who went to the reds. The reds had my favorite uh, draft once I, on the other side of it, I was able to look at what all the teams did. Uh, So I'm already biased towards this pick because it was one that I liked a lot, but it was a high school outfielder who just had a, I mean, again, putting a clear major league projection on a high schooler is a fool's errand. But it sure felt like uh, a sure bet that Jay Allen, uh, at, as an athlete, had a major league future in an outfield corner and could develop a, a really special bat. And so it was so frustrating for me to see the race skip out on that bat and then him go two picks later, for instance. Uh, the other name in the at that pick was there was a pitcher who was plummeting down the draft board. And we've seen that play out for the race before in a really positive way with Nick Bitsko and with uh, Liberator, The The guy was Ty Madden, uh, a potential top 10 pick, is falling. And it's not exactly clear why he's falling. Have teams just not done their due diligence? Have they... Maybe not connected on this player. Have they not seen him? And I'm thinking to myself, surely the Rays have done their homework and they're in a position to take this guy. And they don't. They skip him and he goes at 32 a couple picks later uh, when the Rays were picking at 28 and 34. So those were two players that really stood out to me as well. Wow, uh, these are probably sure bets when you think about consensus among the draft rankings. These are probably surer bets when it comes to my own personal opinions about what you want from a first round draft pick. So defaulting instead to a high school shortstop who um, I guess is, is a decent pick if you like him, like that's kind of where I land on It's like, well, I guess you're just really going to like this guy.
1: The other guy taken uh, the pick before the 34th pick where the Rays took Cooper Kinney, uh, Tyler Black is a guy that showed up in a lot of mock drafts going to the rays in that first for that first election where Carson Williams was eventually taken really great bat to ball profile out of right state a guy that I really liked coming out of college I, and I think I find myself and a lot of others do being more biased towards college prospects you do they're, they're not a finished article but they're maybe further along in that development st- uh, process where you know you could see them in the big leagues in two or three years uh, but they, they pass on Tyler Black in the first round. I, I don't know if they wanted to take him in that competitive balance round. He ends up going to, the, to Milwaukee, the pick before. Um, but but ultimately, I, I don't know. It's, it's not like the, the Rays drafted poorly. You know it's it's Their board is completely different than any board you could see online or any of the boards you could create in your own head or any board that we could put on the site, like,
0: well, we, it also we might know. be different from their own board that they had in the draft room, too. Right. Because a lot of this is picking up the phone, calling players agents and saying, will they sign for X amount of money and getting a feel for it? And it's also possible that the race picked up the phone and they called Ty Madden and said, will he sign for X? And the agent said no, because he was trying to play some kind of game. And so the Rays passed on that idea. Or maybe the same thing happened with Jay Allen, who was a UF commit. And maybe he was like, no, 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 I'm really going to go to UF. And they tried to bluff. And so the Rays gave up on that idea and they moved on to Carson Williams. I'm projecting. uh, I'm imagining this might be how it went because this is how it goes. Tyler Black, I never got the vibe that Tyler Black was a player the Rays liked. I think he got mocked to the Rays a lot because it was easy to do. He's a second baseman. uh, And people uh, look at teams' recent draft histories and they go, oh, well, they liked Brandon Lau. Maybe they like Tyler Black too the team seems to acquire a lot of second basemen. Um, you know, they picked at 34, right. One pick after the Brewers there who took Tyler black at 33 and they did take a second baseman. So, uh, you know, maybe the second base thing is valid. Um, but Cooper Kenny might not be married to second base in the same way that uh, Carson Williams is. seems like a likely shortstop or that kind of up the middle athlete. Uh, I would love to see um, Cooper Kenny try out a lot of positions uh, now that, he uh, is coming into the race fold. Uh, I think he had a history of catching, and so it's possible that he could catch. Uh, oh, another thing uh, people tried to write about online, I saw about Carson Williams, before we fully depart from uh, what I felt was a semi-surprising pick, people were saying, oh, he's a two-way player. Um, well, I asked around with some scouts, and they all said he hates pitching.
1: <laughs> and I think he's kind of said similar things since the Rays have drafted
0: him. So, and and that's normal. You're the best high school or you're best athlete on a high school team. They'll make you pitch because you can, and you can do it well. Right? On a high school field, every single prospect in baseball can pitch, right? The, the, the bar is low. Um, So he was not a two-way player, Uh, a second baseman. People try to slap these um, archetypes on when really so much of the draft is no matter what your data says, no matter what your board says, you've got a couple people in the room who are just advocating, advocating, advocating for their player. And my sense is with both of the Rays' picks at 28 and 34, it was someone in the room was advocating, I love this dude. Cooper Kinney, you know, if he's a catcher not a second baseman, what a wildly different conversation this might be. Uh, he was announced as a second baseman. But the MLB.com ranking on, on MLB Pipeline was like 84 Overall, he was not a uh, well. There was a lot of variance.
1: I think some of the other boards had him a lot higher, maybe in the top forty. Sure, but who
0: who went the next pick after Cooper Kinney? Our Do you remember
1: Matthew Nelson, Florida
0: State our Houston. guy, Florida <laughs> State's catcher? This is bringing the catcher thing full circle to me. But man, Matthew Nelson was one pick away you could have had Matthew Nelson. Now I'm biased as a seminal. I know, yeah. I know, but that's a special athlete.
1: I, I think Matt Nelson would be a great catcher if we uh, can be ad- assured that, uh, robo umps are coming soon.
0: He's, mm. he's fine
1: defensively. He's not great, but the bat really came around. And I think Cincinnati, I think that, you know, that, that, that's a good pick in that spot. And like you said, they, they did a really good job overall
0: in the draft, but I, I mean, an incredible draft. my, the, their draft was Matt McLean out of UCLA at 17 overall, which was a bargain. Jay Allen uh, at the end of the first round, which is incredible value. And then picking up Matthew Nelson at 35 overall. I Hats off to the Cincinnati Reds. What a top three.
1: Do you have a favorite, you know, maybe that doesn't have to be one of the top picks, but uh, a favorite race pick or maybe a race pick later on in the
0: draft that you're going to kind of keep your eye on? Oh my gosh. I am so excited about this guy named Austin Vernon. He was drafted at 311th overall. (laughs) He is the 10th round draft pick. Uh, He was a dude who kind of popped in the Cape Cod league, uh, but he is a six foot eight beast of a pitcher. He is just a big, big man. And I love it. I love that the Rays are taking their Kyle Snyder, Methodology and applying it to a bunch of really tall dudes, and some of those dudes come through the Rays. They maybe taste the majors, and then go somewhere else. Tyler Glass now is uh, the the test case for how well that can work out. Uh, I would love to see Austin Vernon follow that path. I want to see the big man succeed. That would be so fun.
1: If we want to have a meta uh, D Rays Bay podcast network, who's on worst uh, moment? Austin Vernon pitched for the a's who are the subject of. Uh, summer catch, which we reviewed on who's on Worst. So that's what he played for in the Cape Cod League. Also played for North Carolina Central in the MIAC. Yeah, I think a really interesting prospect. We've seen the Rays, uh, you know, specifically at the big league level when they went out and got guys like uh, Sleggers and, Fair- and Tyler Glass now and Pete Fairbanks. Uh, look for these really tall pitchers. I think I do think that Kyle Snyder likes to work with those guys. Um, Vernon will be definitely be an interesting prospect to follow. I'm interested in, and I don't know if I'm completely sold on him yet, but Kyle Manzarda, the guy they took at the end of the second round, left-handed hitting first baseman out of Washington State. This is one of those prospects that you have to really believe in the bat.
0: Sure. Well, so if the first two picks, um, if Carson Williams and Cooper Kenny at 28 and 34 were scout picks, if you will, if I can be that reductive, of course, mm-hmm. the scouting picks are vetted out by the, the stats guys too. It's not going to be the, st- the scouts love this and the stats guys say that's a bad idea, right? It's all within reason and they all kind of harmonize. But Kyle Manzardo just really jumped out at me as this is the R&D pick.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, if I don't really like – I tend to not like first baseman. You can get him anywhere. You can convert people from other positions if they're not good at their original position. Um, but he was a first baseman at Washington State out in the Pac-12 um, this year in 47 games had a 1,076 OPS. I'm not here to try to tell you that that means anything in the Pac-12 uh, and how well that's going to convert into pro ball, but hit 11 home runs. I, I'm interested to follow that because I think if the bat plays at the, at the professional level, he could turn into something. But when he's stuck as a first baseman, I don't know. Who knows? We'll see.
0: We'll see. Uh, I was really jazzed at uh, their third round draft pick. Um, that's one that hasn't signed yet. He's committed to uh, Tennessee, but it's a kid named Ryan Spikes. Uh, he is a high school middle infielder, um, but just uh, the, the kind of prospect you can dream on. If you're going to draft a high schooler that is raw and you want to see what he can become, I, I really hope the Rays are able to put together a package that's strong enough that he'll take the money and, and he'll jump in professionally. Um, I think it was worth rolling the dice, Uh, in the third round on a on a pick that you're not sure if we'll sign or not Um, we'll see I think Kyle Manzardo maybe took a little less money too so maybe the Rays are playing a similar pool game Uh, I'm very hopeful that Ryan Spikes might sign I don't know if he will uh, but if he does uh, uh, if I don't like the value per se at 28 34 63 I'm excited about the value at 100 and so that's that's something but I, you might be hearing from me here. My vibe overall is this drift draft <laughs> is fine. It's fine. Uh, I agree. I'm, I'm not wowed. They didn't start out in a strong position, they didn't start out with a strong draft pool. So, taking those big money guys like that guy Bubba, who fell and then the Pirates mm-hmm. grabbed, um, you know, that's kind of harder to get away with. I wish they had the Cincinnati Reds draft, but, um, you know, this This will be okay. A lot of people are excited about the fifth round draft pick. That kind of skips over our fourth rounder, right? The fourth rounder was a college outfielder named Drew Baker. Uh, but the fifth round was uh, a Juco outfielder named Mason Auer. And a lot of people seemed energized by that pick, the kind that uh, maybe teams had been pegging in the draft earlier years and he hadn't signed yet. Uh, but this seems the year he's going to go. Uh, I'm not fully versed in all the reasons why people like him. Maybe it's that he was accessible to scouts. Uh, he was committed to University of Oregon. He did a lot of time in the hidden cage in, uh, in, in front of cameras and stuff. So maybe he was just more in touch with people going on circuits and stuff like that. So a lot of people have seen him before. But I mean, it's a, it's a decent outfield prospect uh, and a guy that's young. So it's nice to get him in the system now.
1: If I could point out one other prospect outside of the Rays draft class, and you and I have talked about him before, Edwin Arroyo, who is a shortstop. uh, He was committed to Florida State. He was Florida State's highest-rated recruit. He got drafted in the second round by the Seattle Mariners. He's a shortstop that is also, he plays shortstop right-handed, but is also a left-handed pitcher. Uh, He just signed with the Mariners today. Uh, A guy that, again, I don't know what the Mariners have planned. It sounds like his profile as a shortstop was good enough to be drafted you know very high Uh, but the wrinkle that he's also a left-handed pitcher is something that I don't know if there's any other precedent for that we've started to see two-way players but to see an ambidextrous two-way player uh, get drafted in the second round that's gonna be really interesting to kind of
0: follow his progress yeah that's wild I mean I love the oddities uh, of handedness Um, you know guys that are well, the the typical is you write with your right hand and then you bat lefty if you're gonna split it up. But the guys who are like left handed but they bat righty and they always like break that mold. they are always oddities in baseball. See, I write of...
1: left handed and I play sports right handed.
0: So I'm See, you're one of them. You're one of the odd ducks. Yes, I am. I wasn't gonna out you on the podcast, but I, I was trying to appeal <laughs> to you a little bit. Um Yeah, I mean it's it's weird when those guys pop up, but it, it is exciting um that's our Florida State connection again too. Uh we would be remiss not to mention the 11th round pick before we kind of conclude this draft coverage. A kid out of UCLA, his name's Sean Mullen. Uh he had the the markings of a player who should have been drafted maybe as high as the 5th round, but uh as you start getting into the second half of the first 10 picks, those start becoming less and less affordable, if you will or excuse me, those become less, less and less expensive and more affordable because uh, teams are looking to save money on the back end so that they can spend it higher up. And uh, Sean Mullen kind of shook out, uh, out of the top 10 to the 11th round. And when a player falls, sometimes you can kind of spend a little bit extra in that 11, 12, 13 round, and you, um, you kind of take bets, if you will, on the kind of guys you might try to lock in. Sean Mullen was the one this year where the Razor trying to lock somebody in that uh, fell that maybe shouldn't have, and he's expected to sign. So that's interesting, uh, at least to, to some extent.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think I do like the stories of the guys that come out of the later rounds. You do get some college guys that have just played their four years, and this is their last chance, but, uh, you know, we get some really fun stories like guys that make it all the way to the majors even out of the late rounds but it's uh, drafts are always weird to talk about because none of these guys are making an impact this year or probably next year really any of the guys in this class so it's going to be a few years down the road and maybe we'll i wouldn't mind maybe maybe an off-season project would be like we go through the last i don't know 10 years of drafts and we do those draft classes revisited and we talk about where those players ended up whether they were in the Rays organization or or traded or left in some other way. That might be that might be a fun off-season pod.
0: Yeah, we got to write down what all of, our, all of our hot takes were now because <laughs> we'll need them yeah. five years from now. Uh, <laughs> the other fun stuff from the second half of the draft, uh, the 14th rounder was a kid named Antonio Menendez. He's a side armor out of Wake Forest. So a true side armor. I'm talking like 90 degrees parallel to the ground. You know, he missed 2021 for Tommy John. So maybe uh, he's quality, but fell or, or whatever the race pegged him in the 14th round. Not a big deal.
1: The guy taken right after Menendez was uh, Jordan Leisure at the University of Tampa. He was on my little league team. Oh, how yeah. special. Grew up Congrats to that. your
0: friend. Yeah. That's great. Uh, the 15th rounder was a kid named Connor Angel. I'm saying Angel. I have not looked it up. Perhaps it's something like on hell. I, I don't know. It's Connor. Connor Angel is what I'm going with right now. Anyway, uh, he throws like 96, and it's got a crap ton of movement on it. Uh, so that's the kind of one-trick pony. You draft that, and you uh, you try to find out what happens uh, once he's in the system, and you can play around a little bit. But I thought that was a pretty exciting. And he's Canadian. Is he? So it's probably not on health.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Canadian playing for the Louisiana Lafayette racing Cajuns. I love it. Sure. <laughs> All right, Danny, I, any other, any other uh, draft thoughts?
0: Uh, the 20th rounder was great. They took this uh, three-sport athlete named Cameron Fields. Uh, that's the kind of stuff I like. Uh, yeah. If this was a 40-round draft, that would get a lot more of attention just out of the sheer volume of the players taken. Cameron Fields would rise, I think, pretty quickly as one of the more interesting prospects. He, he is more raw because he spent so much time concentrating on other sports. But I'm I just excited to see what he can do if he's in a system and is able to concentrate on baseball full-time. So. All
1: So. right, so I think that's going to kind of wrap up our draft coverage. Uh, there's tons of other great coverage on all of the picks on com. so make sure to check that out.